Welcome to the preaching podcast of Poplar Springs Baptist Church in Hiram, Georgia, and the preaching ministry of our senior pastor, Wayne Meadows. It is our desire that the message you hear today would call you to a closer walk with Jesus Christ, and that your life would give glory to God as you apply the biblical truths proclaimed. For more information about the ministry of Poplar Springs Baptist Church, check us out on the web, www.psbchurch.net. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the preaching of God's Word. If you have a Bible with you this morning, open it with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. This morning we're going to look into verses 14 through 29. Mark 6 verses 14 through 29. Before we get to the text today, just a few quick reminders. First of all, remember this week is the final week of our summer breakout sessions. Our men will meet on Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. And men, uh, this is steak night for us this week. And so we're going to throw some steaks on the grill. And so if you plan to be there with us, please, please, please uh, fill out one of the reservation cards. It's the blue card in the pew back in front of you. Uh, fill that out. Let us know you'll plan to be there and drop it in the collection boxes as you leave today. And then, ladies, you're meeting on Wednesday night at 6.30. You've got the pink reservation card. Fill that out, and that'll help them plan for your presence there on Wednesday evening. But been so encouraged uh, about uh, how the Lord has worked in these times uh, over these last few weeks and looking forward to what he has in store for us this week. So please keep that in mind. And then, secondly, uh, as we move into August in a few weeks, we're going to uh, get ready for our discipleship classes. They'll be meeting on Sunday evenings in August. Those classes will start at 5 p.m. on those evenings. And uh, we've got four adult classes lined up. You can go to the ministry desk, which is just outside the sanctuary here, across from the cafe. There's sign-up sheets for those classes. There'll also be a little bit more information about those classes. But let me give you a quick rundown of what we're offering for our adults. First of all, I'm going to lead a class titled Loss understanding how God transforms our suffering. Uh, we're all acquainted with hard times and walking through suffering, whether it be uh, the loss of a loved one or just a difficult season. This class is going to help us to understand how God is at work uh, in those seasons of our life. So maybe you're in one of those seasons or coming out of one of those seasons. be a great class for you. Or maybe you just simply want to learn how you can help others as they walk through those times in their lives. Uh, you can sign up for that class. And then Jeremy Digsby is going to lead a class titled Praying the Bible. And that title comes from a book that you'll be going through written by Donald Whitney, uh, where he helps us learn to have a, have a fresh prayer life. And uh, I think sometimes as we pray, we can just fall into ruts and we simply say the same thing over and over again. Well, how can we change that? Well, in this class, you'll learn how to pray scripture, how to use the Bible to guide your time in prayer. So that's praying the Bible. And then Joseph Malden is going to lead a class titled Let the Nations Be Glad. It's a study on missions and the supremacy of God in missions. It's drawn uh, from a book by that same title written by John Piper. And uh, if you have a heart for missions or maybe you want to grow your heart for missions, uh, this is the class. That book, Let the Nations Be Glad, is probably the modern classic on the work of missions. Uh, if you've never read the book, I would highly encourage you to pick it up, uh, but you could also take this class, and in it you'll learn about worship as the fuel for missions, uh, Christ as the only way to do missions, and uh, how we get the gospel out to the ends of the earth. So let the nations be glad. And then finally for adults, Jason and Courtney Loudermilk are leading uh, a class called Gospel-Shaped Marriage. 
It's always good to give time and investment in your marriage. And uh, what better way to grow your marriage than to hear and to understand how the gospel gives shape to it. So uh, learn how to be a better husband by the gospel. Learn how to be a better wife by the gospel. How to love your spouse according to the gospel uh, in that class. So all those sign-up sheets are back there. If you have any other questions, reach out to us at the church office. We're also offering a class for students so all students, you can sign up as well. Uh, it'll be made in the image of God. Ethan and Shanda Stafford are going to be leading that. They're going to look at Genesis 1:21 and simply discuss what it means to be made in God's image and how that touches every facet of our lives. And that's an important topic for our students today. And uh, they'll understand biblical manhood, biblical womanhood. Parents, you'll also have access to all of the information. You can download uh, those lessons through the Amplify base, uh, Facebook page. Uh, be able to follow up with your students as they go through that class, but sign them up for that. And then we'll also offer kids praise for all of our children. This is our children's choir class. They'll be meeting on those uh, Sunday nights as well, preparing to lead us in worship on Sundays that are coming up. So a lot happening in August, which is just around the corner. So go by there and sign up for one of those classes and join us on those evenings. All right, let's get to the text this morning. Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 29 this morning we're looking at the death of John the Baptist. The death of John the Baptist. So I'm going to read, you follow along in your copy of God's Word and hear the Word of the Lord today. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. Now let me pause right here for just a moment before we continue the text. When Mark says, King Herod heard of it, that it is the fame of Jesus' ministry, the works that Jesus has done. And we saw last Sunday that the mission and the ministry of Jesus was expanded through the mission that he sent his apostles out upon. And so the fame of all that is taking place, the message that is being preached, and certainly the miracles that have been performed are spreading broadly. And as they've gone out, the identity of Jesus is once again being questioned. And I would just remind us, this is the theme of Mark's gospel. Who is this man? Well, in villages far and wide, they're asking that question. And here in the beginning of our text, we have a couple of answers that are being given. Uh, some say John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. Others say it is Elijah who has come back from the dead. And then others said in verse 15 that he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. So there's all types of speculation regarding uh, who Jesus is. But then in verse 16, we're told, but when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. So for King Herod, or Herod Antipas, as he's also known, and we'll talk more about who he is in just a moment, he is convinced that it is John the Baptist whom he had previously murdered, whom he had beheaded. Now following that statement, Mark is going to take us on a flashback. He's going to go back in time a little ways, and recount for us the details surrounding the death of John the Baptist at the command of Herod. So let's keep reading. Go back to verse 17. For it was Herod 
who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter to give it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Would you pray with me once more? Our Heavenly Father, we give our thanks to you for this, your holy word. And Lord, I pray now that in the power of your Spirit, Lord, you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word, that it may go out in demonstration and the operation of your Spirit today. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes, that we would see, our ears, that we would hear. And God, that you would give us hearts that would be soft to receive what you say to us by your word. And Father, we pray for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text today is perhaps a forgotten text for many of us recorded in the Gospels. It is the grotesque account of the death of John the Baptist. We sometimes forget that Scripture reminds us of these sordid events that unfold. We come to this text in a very interesting place in our study of the Gospel of Mark. And so we we do well to ask the question, why here, why now do we have this account of John's death? Well, let me give you a couple of answers before we get into a little bit more detail regarding the text. First of all, we have the telling of the death of John the Baptist simply to complete the story of John's ministry. We were first introduced to John the Baptist in the beginning of Mark, in Mark chapter 1. He was there in the desert, in the wilderness, in the line of the prophets, a very unique character, proclaiming the call to repentance, proclaiming the coming of the Messiah. And then when Jesus appeared, he baptized him and began to point others to him. He would say, this is the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. And then very quickly, John moves off the scene. And so perhaps the question has has been running through the minds of many, well, what happened to John the Baptist? What happened to that unique guy there in the wilderness? Well, now we have the other 
side of the story, we have the end of his ministry, his death at the hands of King Herod. We're also given this account here because it's working as a transition. We talked a little bit about this last Sunday as we saw the apostles going out under the authority of Jesus, that there was a shift that was taking place. The old is passing away, behold, the new has now come. And with the death of John the Baptist, we have the last Old Testament prophet's ministry ceasing. John was the last minister under the Old Covenant. And now that he has uh, been killed, the focus falls squarely on to the New Covenant, to the work that Jesus Christ has come to do. And we also have here in the text a foreshadowing. I would remind you that John the Baptist came as a forerunner for Jesus. He came to prepare the way for the Messiah. Uh, He was like him in some regards, in his message and in his ministry, but also our text today reminds us that he is like Jesus in his murder as well. The end of John's ministry came about by the hands of evil men. The end of Jesus' ministry will come about in similar fashion. So there's parallel accounts happening here. Even as we uh, see John's ministry ending, it's preparing us for how Jesus' ministry will also end. But ultimately, we have this text before us because it provides for us some important lessons for the followers of Jesus. And those lessons, they come to us from uh, the main players in the text. Uh, There are three primary individuals that the text speaks of. Uh, Clearly, there's John the Baptist. We've uh, seen him already. We've spoken a little bit about him. But it also mentions to us a man by the name Herod, King Herod. He's one of many Herods in the Scripture. He's also known as Herod Antipas. He was one of four sons of Herod the Great. That was his father, And Herod the Great appears at the beginning of the earthly life of Jesus. It's that Herod, in the birth account of Jesus, who issues the command that all the young males to and under would be put to death. He was fearful over the news that a new king had arrived and wanting to protect his throne and his reign. He issues what is known as the slaughter of the innocents. That's Herod the Great. This Herod is one of his four sons. Upon the death of Herod the Great, his kingdom was distributed among his four sons, and they became known as tetrarchs, meaning a ruler of a fourth. So our text today speaks to us about Herod the Tetrarch, or Herod Antipas, and he really is quite the character. There's some things that seem to be commendable about him, but there's many things, many more things, that are grievous about him. But he here is at the center of what's going on with the end of the ministry of John the Baptist. But connected to Herod is his wife Herodias. And it's this connection to Herodias that really brings John the Baptist before Herod. You see, Herodias was not only the wife of Herod Antipas, She had previously been the wife of Herod's brother, Philip. And because she wanted him and he wanted her, he took her as his wife in an adulterous fashion. 
But that isn't the end of the story. There's more there that's underneath. As you dig a little bit deeper into this relationship, you find that not only is it adulterous, adulterous, but it's also incestuous. Because Herodias was also the niece of Herod. And so as we begin to think about all of these elements coming together, what we have before us is really a soap opera of sin. Sometimes we look at our culture and we see all the things that are happening and we think, man, we're, we're really in a bad spot. And I would agree with that. But our text today reminds us that mankind has always been in a bad spot. The hearts of men are desperately wicked and evil and it's playing out before us in this relationship between Herod and his, his illicit wife Herodias and then their connection with John. John was a a minister. John was a, a prophet and he knew the, the law of God and the word of God and explicitly in the law of God it calls out this relationship between Herod and Herodias as being unlawful, as being against God's design and God's plan. And John preached against that. And because of that it drew the ire of Herodias so much so that she wanted John dead. She wanted him off the scene entirely. How dare him to say such things about our relationship? Well, Herod was a little bit of a different matter. Herod certainly knew what John was saying. We're told in verse 20 that he feared John because he was a righteous and a holy man, but he also kept him safe, meaning he kept him safe from the desire of his wife to put him to death, and he kept him safe by putting him in prison. While he was in prison, his wife couldn't get to him, and Herod knew exactly where John was, and it also gave Herod the opportunity to continue to hear what John had to say. We're told there in verse 20 that Herod heard John gladly, and as he did so, he was greatly perplexed. Quite an interesting story, isn't it? Ultimately, the desire of Herodias wins out, Seizing an opportunity, she hatches a, a, an unbelievable plan, and I don't mean unbelievable in a good way, an unbelievable plan to take the life of John the Baptist. As Herod throws himself a birthday party with all of his highfalutin guests with him, Herodias sends her daughter in, and she performs a dance. You understand what I mean when I say dance? It wasn't line dancing, and it wasn't slow dancing. It was dancing in an inappropriate fashion. And she came in, and through that dance, she pleased Herod and all the guests that he had there with him. Now, here's what's striking. Her name is not mentioned in the text, but Josephus, the uh, Jewish historian, tells us that her name was Salome. And presumably, from what he says and from what we see in the text, that she's described as the daughter of Herodias. And then when she responds to uh, the gift that King Herod gives to her, that she goes back to her mother, we can kind of discern from that that she's probably just a young teenage girl. And so here is Herodias putting her young teenage daughter into an act that is unbelievable to see her desire come to fulfillment. So the daughter dances, it pleases Herod. He says to her, I'll give you anything you want. And to show the seriousness of that offer, he says, I'll give you anything up to half of my kingdom. 
Now, that was hyperbolic language. He wasn't really going to give away half of his kingdom, but it was a way of saying, uh, I mean what I say. What do you want? And I'll give it to you. And so immediately the, the daughter heads to her mother. Mom, what do, I, what do I get here? What do I take? What do I ask for? And presumably without any hesitation, Herodias says, ask for the head of John the Baptist. And then in quick fashion, the daughter returns, requests uh, the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And in verse 26, we're told that the king was exceedingly sorry. I believe there was genuine sorrow there on the part of Herod Antipas, Herod the Tetrarch. I believe as he heard the request from this daughter of Herodias, his heart was sincerely grieved. However, his pride and fear of man led him to continue on in honoring that request. In verse 27, he sent an executioner with the orders. The beheading is commenced, and the head of John the Baptist is brought on a platter. What a gruesome scene. Who has a party that results with a head on a platter being brought before the guest? So what do we do with this? What do we do with this recording of the death of John the Baptist? Well, there's some lessons as followers of Jesus that we do well to learn. And these lessons come to us from the three main players in the text, from John, Herodias, and Herod. So first of all, we need to learn to model the obedience of John the Baptist. We need to learn to model the obedience of John the Baptist. John was a faithful prophet, and John was a faithful preacher. John preached the message and the Word of God uh, without any concern for what it may lead to on his behalf. When he heard what had happened with Herod and Herodias, he boldly proclaimed what God had said in regards to that marriage, that it was unlawful, that it wasn't right. Now, it was that preaching that ultimately would lead to his demise, but in that preaching, John remained faithful. He preached publicly, and he preached powerfully, and he preached plainly. Nobody had to question where John stood in regards to the relationship between Herod and Herodias. Nobody had to question where John stood in relation to the Word of God. They knew that he believed it, and he preached it clearly. I think this is a wonderful reminder for us today. We live in a day and an age where the Word of God is not highly sought by many who live outside of these walls. But nevertheless, we must be faithful to proclaim, thus saith the Lord. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes to his son in the faith, Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, he begins that chapter by letting Timothy know there's going to be some difficult days that are going to come. And he goes on to give a, a, a litany of things that will occur, all kinds of things that we see all around us happening right now. But as Paul continues to write, in light of those difficult and dangerous days that Tim, Timothy is going to face, he says to him, you just keep with the scriptures. And he says, you preach the word when he gets to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And he gives that instruction with this understanding. You preach it in season and out of season. Meaning you preach it when they seem to really like it, and you preach it when they don't like it. You just keep preaching the word. This is what John the Baptist did here. He was faithful to preaching the word of God, and we too must be faithful to preaching and proclaiming the word. I'm afraid that there are many in the church today in America 
that while they uh, make much about the Word of God, when they go to preach the Word of God, they water down that Word. They don't say, thus saith the Lord. They want to soften the edges a little bit. They want to make it a, a little bit more palatable. There was nothing palatable about the preaching of John the Baptist. When Mark tells us that John had been saying to Herod, there in verse number uh, 18, he writes that in the Greek in a way that it indicates that John didn't just say it one time. He didn't just preach one message to Herod saying, you can't have her as your wife, that's unlawful, that's not honoring to God. He writes it in a way that it says John said it and he just kept on saying it. He just kept on preaching. He was unashamed to call out sin that was present in the life of Herod Antipas. Oh God, give us some Johns for our day. Give us some men and some women who will stand boldly on the word of God and proclaim unashamedly, thus saith the Lord. In the death of John the Baptist, we see his obedience is something that should be modeled. But then secondly, secondly, we need to learn from the opposition of Herodias. The opposition of Herodias. This kind of comes to the forefront there in verse 17. Herod has John seized and bound in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. Verse 19, she had a grudge against John and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. We shouldn't find it surprising that if we faithfully preach the word, there will be those who fiercely oppose the word. We shouldn't find it surprising that as we seek to stand for the light and in the light, that those who are in the dark and the darkness itself will seek to push back. I think that's one of the reasons we find that account here in Mark chapter 6. You remember last Sunday, Jesus had sent the 12 out on solo missions two by two. They were without him. And as we read that account, as we read in verse 30 that they returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught, it seems to be that they were met with an element of some success in their ministry. That presumably things had gone pretty well. But our text here reminds us that that won't always be the case. For the follower of Jesus Christ, it's not always uh, well. Sometimes if we're faithful in ministry and faithful to the message, we'll find ourselves facing fierce opposition. It shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't cause us to stumble. Peter would tell us in the New Testament, don't think it's strange, the fiery trial that is coming upon you. I think sometimes we leave the sanctuary and we go about our, our time during the week and we see what's happening in the world and we see what's happening with those that we know and we wonder, man, why are they so against what we believe? Because they love darkness rather than light. Because they don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Because their hearts are naturally inclined to evil. And so it shouldn't surprise us that we face opposition. Instead, perhaps, it should surprise us that we're not facing opposition. That, perhaps, should be of greater concern. I'm reminded of the story uh, of John Wesley. You're familiar with that name. Uh, father of uh, the Methodist Church. On one particular occasion, he was riding his horse to another series of meetings uh, that he had scheduled and was going to preach at. And as he was riding, he, he grew greatly concerned. 
He records in his diary that it had been some days that he had not had an egg or a tomato or a dead fish hurled at him while he was preaching the gospel. And he was concerned that in some part he had somehow failed and hadn't been faithful in doing what the Lord had called him to do. So he dismounted his horse gets off the side of the trail and kneels down there on the edge of the woods and begins to pray, asking God to to help him in this concern that's in his heart. And unbeknownst to him at that time, there was a gentleman there in the woods who had kind of been following along behind and had kind of seen what was going on and had even heard some of the conversation that Wesley had been having with himself. And as he hears Wesley praying this prayer, asking the Lord to give direction, uh, the guy in the woods simply picks up a rock and hurls it at Wesley. It misses him, thankfully, but as Wesley hears the rock hit the ground and see what's happening, sees, see what's, he sees what's occurring, he, he rises from his knees and looks to heaven and says, Lord, thank you. Thank you that I can again be counted worthy to suffer for the cause of Christ. He got back on his horse and went about his preaching. He was a man who was looking for opposition because he felt if he wasn't facing opposition, he wasn't being faithful. Learn this, believer. If we are faithful, we will face the opposition of the enemy. We wonder why there are so many protests against uh, the, the ruling that's been handed down by the Supreme Court to, uh, to send the, the ruling of abortion back to the states, to end it as a federal law, a federal right. We wonder why, because it's honoring to God. When that which honors God is being done, the enemy will always seek to oppose. We need to learn from the opposition of Herodias. And then third, and this is kind of where the text really takes us. We need to learn from the opportunities of Herod. The opportunities of Herod. It seems to be Herod that steps to the front of the stage in this account. Yes, it deals with the death of John the Baptist. And yes, that death is precipitated by the bitterness and the revenge that is sought in the heart of Herodias. But it's Herod. It's Herod who kind of steps out to the front. And with Herod, it's his opportunities that we do well to consider. First of all, I think we need to think about his missed opportunities. His missed opportunities. And what I mean by that are the missed opportunities that were afforded to Herod through the preaching of John. The text seems to indicate and let us in on knowing that Herod had heard John preach on multiple occasions. And in the preaching of John, there was something at work in the life of Herod. He was greatly perplexed. His his conscience was, was moved. He was gripped with fear, verse 20 tells us. And then the end of verse 20 also tells us that he sought to hear him gladly. We don't know how many times he heard John, but it seems to be that there were several occasions. And every occasion that Herod was afforded to hear the prophet of God speak and to preach the message of God was an opportunity that he missed. Now, it doesn't mean that Herod didn't act in those opportunities. The text tells us that he did. But his actions were wrong. First of all, I don't think Herod listened carefully to what John said. John preached the message of repentance. John preached the message of pointing people to Christ. And Herod seemed to miss that. 
He didn't listen to what the man of God was saying and the word of God that was proclaimed. I want to remind you this morning that it matters how you listen to the preaching of the word. It matters how you listen. We've heard Jesus teach us that already in the parables of the soil. Take care then how you hear. Herod didn't hear very well. And the reason we know that Herod didn't hear very well is because he didn't respond appropriately to the Word of God. John preached the message of repentance. Surrender your life in faith to Jesus Christ. Confess and acknowledge your sin and turn away from them. Surely John had said that to Herod. He had pointed out the sin of the relationship that he was in, but yet Herod would not turn from it. But Herod did do something. Herod was moved by what John said. He heard it gladly. His conscience was troubled. He was gripped with fear, but he didn't respond appropriately. He had John put in prison, presumably out of a desire to keep him safe. He would go and hear him while he had him there, but that wasn't the right response. It wasn't what John was calling him to, nor is it what Jesus calls us to. I think a lot of times when we hear the preaching of the Word, we're not listening carefully. And I know we're not listening carefully because sometimes some of you come to me and say, Preacher Wayne, when you said this the other Sunday, man, it just moved my heart. And as you're saying that, I'm going, I never said those words. And I know I never said those words because I'm the one who was said to have said them and then I go back and listen to what I said and it wasn't anything like you said that I said. You've got to listen carefully. You've got to listen actively and attentively. Hear the word of God as is being preached because if you don't listen carefully, you will not respond appropriately. Some of the greatest heresy in regards to the Scripture comes not so much in the interpretation of the Scripture, but the application of the Scripture. Many times when the message goes out and the call is extended, we are moved, but we don't move the right way. Herod was moved by the preaching of John, but he didn't move in the right direction. John called him to repentance, but Herod didn't repent. He called him to take his sin seriously, but Herod ignored that call. Oh, he went and did other things. And so often, I think so many people go and do other things. They do good things. They support ministries, and they sign up to give things, and they bring things. They do all of these things because their, their conscience is perplexed, their hearts are troubled, their soul is gripped with fear, and they're trying to do anything that they can to assuage that feeling so that they can feel better when the only thing that will help is to repent and turn to Jesus. Herod had that opportunity over and over and over again, but he would not listen carefully and he did not respond appropriately. His missed opportunity of John's preaching. But there's another opportunity that comes before Herod. It's not his missed opportunity, but his making opportunity. Specifically, his making opportunity for sin. In verse 21, an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet. Herod throws a lavish party with all of his buddies. And it's in this occasion, in the wrong place, with the wrong people, seeking the wrong pleasure, that the death of the prophet comes about. 
It was in this occasion where Herod allowed sin to take him to a place that presumably he never had a desire to go, but it's where he wound up. Why? Because he made opportunity for sin. Paul would write to us in Romans chapter 13 that we're not to make no provision, make no provision for the flesh. What a lesson for us to remember. That if we give ourselves into the opportunity of sin, if we give ourselves to the occasion of sin, we will go farther than we ever thought imagined. We will pay more than we ever desired. It will cost us more than we ever cared. That's what happened here with Herod. He was exceedingly sorry. But the prophet's head was brought on a platter. He made opportunity for sin and missed the opportunity of the sermon. It's not the end of the story of Herod in the Gospels. He appears once more at the end of Jesus' ministry. And in Luke chapter 23, Jesus has been arrested. He's been brought before Pilate. As Pilate hears the case of Jesus on that night, he learns that Jesus is a Galilean, and he's under the jurisdiction of Herod Antipas, Herod the Tetrarch, the Herod of our text. And that Herod happens to be in Jerusalem as well, Pilate knows. So he sends Jesus to Herod. And in Luke 23, in verses 8 through 9, we're told that when Jesus went, Herod received him gladly. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And as Jesus came before Herod, he sought of him that he would do some sign. He said, do something like you've done before. You see, he wanted to be amazed, but he didn't necessarily want to adore Jesus. That's the problem with many. They want to be amazed and they want to marvel, but they don't want to master and they don't want to adore Jesus as the treasure of their heart. He said, do some sign, entertain me. And then the Bible says that Herod asked of him many questions. Herod asked question after question after question after question of Jesus. But listen to what Luke says. Luke 23, 9. Herod asked many questions. Listen to this. But Jesus gave him no answer. Think about that. Here was Herod standing face to face with the Son of God. Here was Herod standing there with the Lord Jesus Christ asking question after question after question. He he was a step away from the door of heaven. Eternal life was standing there before him, but eternal life was silent on that occasion. But what we learn in this text is that to be faithful for the Son of God, it may cost you your head, but it's far better than losing your soul. And Herod Antipas lost his soul because he gave opportunity for his sin and missed his opportunity to respond to the preaching of the word. Don't be like Herod today. The Lord has given you an opportunity to come to him in repentance and faith. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Herod had his occasion, but he didn't seek to take advantage of it. Don't miss yours today. Let's pray.